0: Welcome to Sash Says, a podcast providing insightful conversations, connecting pageants, people, and purpose, where we believe in wearing your invisible crown, walking in grace, and leaving a little sparkle wherever you go. And now, here's your host, business owner, beauty queen, speaker, pageant coach, and all-around Southern Belle... Leah Hatter
1: Hi Queens, Leah here. Today's Sash Says Podcast guest is the Tim Tialdo. Many of you in the pageant industry are very familiar with Tim, and he's probably hosted some of your pageants. If you don't know Tim, you may have seen him co-host the Miss Teen USA 2019 pageant with Miss USA 2014 Nia Sanchez, or you may have seen him chat with a guest during a St. Louis Rams game event. In addition to his MC success in pageantry, Tim has appeared on a variety of TV commercials, narrated for films, hosted sports events, written multiple books, and has interviewed famous celebrities. It is no surprise that Tim has been awarded several recognitions such as Pageant Planet's Best MC of 2018 and is a three-time Emmy Award winning TV host and much, much more.
2: Hello, everybody. This is Leah Hatter, the host of Sash Says Podcast, and I'm so excited to introduce um, Tim Tialdo today as our podcast guest. Hello, Tim. How are you doing? Hi,
0: hey, Leah. Thank you so much for the invite. It's nice to be on the other side of the microphone for once. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'm so honored that you have taken time out of your busy schedule uh, to log on and talk to me for just a little bit. Um, now, Tim, recently I saw that you had just um, completed hosting um, a pageant. Is that correct? Which uh, pageant were you hosting uh, before you logged on today?
0: Yeah, I was, uh, I was in North Carolina over the weekend, so I did the North Carolina USA pageant. We had uh, Chesley, Chris, and Laura Little and Eliza Minor there. And uh, yeah, it was a really uh, good time enjoyed it and uh, I go to South Carolina next week.
2: My goodness so do you travel all over the country hosting pageants?
0: So I host for RPM Productions they own four states so you got both Carolinas Alabama and Louisiana so we've done three of the four and South Carolina is always our last one and it's always the weekend before Thanksgiving so we bring all eight title holders together at that pageant Um, and it's kind of the home uh, of RPM, that's where they started back in 1980. So it's uh, it's just a lot of fun. It's a great state to be in.
2: Oh yes, absolutely. And of course, you mentioned a lot of southern states as well. So I'm all for the southern pride. <laughs>
0: they're pretty. Absolutely. They're pretty good states.
2: Yes, and of course, Alabama is my favorite. That's where I was born and raised, and so um, yay for Alabama. Um, So anyway, Tim, I obviously know who you are because I've been in the pageant industry for several years, and I am um, a pageant queen myself. Um, Would you mind telling us a little bit about your experience um, emceeing pageants? I mean, how did you get started? Tell us about your first time emceeing a pageant. Um, You know, how did you jump on the pageant bandwagon?
0: Yeah, yeah, no problem. I was actually explaining this story the other day to the Little Sisters when I had them on my podcast, and we were they were just <laughs> like, how did you get into this? And the truth is, um, out of college, my first job or internship, if you will, was at Access Hollywood, and I was there for nine months, and then I decided I wanted to, to be on air, so I had to go get a job at a smaller market to kind of work my way back up, and that smaller market ended up being Clarksburg, West Virginia. Um, I think it's Market 165. It's way down there. But one of the perks of being at that particular station, which uh, I believe was WBOY-TV, was they hosted on television, they televised the Miss West Virginia America pageant. And so I was asked, along with my co-anchor, if we would like to host it. Now, I had never done a pageant to that point. I didn't really know anything about them. I didn't know how they worked. But it sounded like something I definitely wanted to do. So I was like, well, heck yeah, let's do it. And so we hosted a a two-night competition televised in West Virginia um, for that pageant. And that was my very first experience. I mean, it was nerve wracking. I'll be honest, because, you know, normally when you MC an event, it's the very first time you do it, it's not live on television. Um, so there was a lot of pressure, but I really enjoyed it. And I think it was kind of the genesis of, you know, why you see me doing what I do today.
2: Oh, sure. And I think too, it's a great opportunity for you to network, you know, with people from all over and you get to meet so many outstanding ladies
0: yeah. I mean, the network that I've been able to develop through pageantry is pretty incredible. And it's just, um, I, I, I get a unique perspective, you know, I, I see not only these girls get crowned and compete on stage, but I get to know them behind the scenes. I get to know about their lives. And I think that's the one thing that a lot of people miss about pageants is they don't realize how dynamic and, and deep a lot of these girls are and, and how much they really do bring to the table. There's, you know, the, cliche phrases out there that, Oh, it's just a pageant or she's just a beauty queen. And it's like, they are so much more. And I I think, you know, over the past few years, you're starting to see them pull out those stories and and pull out the the real fabric of what these girls are made of. And I I love, I love seeing that. So I'm, I'm blessed that I get to be a part of it in a very intimate way.
2: Oh yes, and you see um everything, you know, from backstage to actually meeting the contestants one on one to meeting the director and et cetera. So I think being the host it is Uh, very nerve-wracking and I could understand completely, um, you know, what it's like to MC. I've uh, pageants myself. You know, nothing like what you've done with Miss Teen USA. But anyway, (laughs) you get to see all different perspectives um, of the pageant. And yes, I agree and I'm so glad that now um, it's being televised more and more um, they're showing within like the bio videos that, you know, we do have girls in the pageant industry who are very talented in music or in academia or you know, uh, girls who want to become teachers and lawyers and doctors and want to travel internationally, and so I love the fact that they are uh, portraying pageant girls more and more as people who are intelligent, people who want to make a difference, and, um, you know, just uh, these young ladies, they have such a wide variety of interests, and so I'm really glad that they're trying to kill that stereotype that, you know, pageant girls are airheads, because they're not airheads. They're talented and smart individuals.
0: Well, that's true, and I'll tell you what, one of the benefits of working in the states that I do is I've got to crown basically probably the three most popular pageant contestants in the world today. Um, Chesley Crist, obviously won Miss USA Hannah Brown, who was the bachelorette and uh, now on dancing with the stars. And then Kaylin Miller keys, who prior to Chesley was North Carolina USA. She was runner up at Miss USA. Obviously she went on to the bachelor and then bachelor in paradise. And they're all doing really big things. And it's neat to watch these girls go from a pageant stage to, um, you know, national recognition. I mean, Hannah Brown is literally a household name at this point. So that's, it's been fun to watch them grow and, just experience the success that can come from going through the system.
2: And I was so glad that you mentioned um, Hannah Brown, too, because I love the fact, like what you said, you know, she's going from one thing to the next to the next, and she's become so successful. And what I love, too, about Hannah is that she cho- she um, chooses to uh, show her true personality on TV. You know, if, mm-hmm. if she's mad, she's mad. She loves to make jokes. She likes to, you know, have fun. Um, And so she, I just love how more and more you're seeing that personality come out of her. So she's quite the young lady to watch.
0: Well, and I think that's a lesson to be learned for everybody listening is look, if you want to be on a reality show, or you want to do something big, I mean, be yourself. And I think that's why Hannah is so popular, not just because, you know, she was the bachelorette, it's because she was the bachelorette, and she was so authentic. And it was a nice change of pace from all the girls who have gone on there. And you know, they try to play up a certain persona and they feel like they need to be somebody that they're not, where Hannah's just like, this is what you get, like it or not, I really don't care, and people love it.
2: (laughs) And she's so brave for doing that, too. So, you know, I really commend her for, um, you know, just being 100% her true self because uh, we have enough fake in the media, we have enough fake in the world right now, you know, we need to see title holders who are true and authentic to who they are. Um, Well, with that being said, too, about – You know, being true to yourself and showing your uh, personality. Um, Tim, I know that MCN can be a lot of work and a lot of dedication. So um, I know that you didn't just call the Miss Teen USA pageant and say, you know, hey, I want to host. You know, you have... Uh, graduated from college. You've taken classes related to um, public relations and et cetera. Um, so would you mind telling us your, your story about, you know, what types of uh, training you've been able to receive um, in order to sharpen your skills in the media field?
0: I will, but I'm going to shock you real quick. Um, I actually did call Teen USA and ask. No no joke. I called. Paul <laughs> and just, uh, No joke. I just asked. <laughs> uh, it's the story that I tell at all the pageants on Saturday night right now when we do the pageants. But it's a long, uh, crazy story about how I got seen USA, but I literally did ask, and that's that's how it happened. But um, well, hey, go in, in for term, it!
2: You know, Nike <laughs> has that slogan, "Just do it," so
0: <laughs> <laughs> it, it worked. So I'm happy that I got to do it. But in terms of you know how I got into it, the training, uh, etc. Um, and you know, I think for anybody listening, understand that the media landscape since I started has changed drastically. I mean, I pretty much graduated college in 2000 and started my on-air career there in 2001. So, I mean, you're talking 19 years um, that social media has really taken over, YouTube, and and this, the way that you approach media, um, and even the education that you get has changed drastically. But I'll take you kind of through what I went through and, and how it came to where it is now. Uh, but okay. it's not probably the path that I would necessarily recommend for people starting out because, again, this was a long time ago when technology was a lot different. So um, when I went to Access Hollywood right out of school, um, it was actually a, I was in what's called a Hollywood studies program. And so my professor in college, he was the old executive producer for a show called Empty Nest. Now, most people okay. listening probably don't remember de- Empty Nest. They're probably too young to remember anything like that. But he had a, ma- a vast network of people in Hollywood that he knew. And so if you signed up for the program, which, you know, it did cost money, and thankfully I had parents who were willing to, to help me with that, he said, Where do you want to work and what do you want to do? And at the time I was like, I would love to work at either entertainment tonight or access Hollywood. And he said, which one? And I was like, I like access. It's just different. It's a little more flashy and fun and colorful. And, um, I was a huge fan of Nancy O'Dell. I mean, I just thought she was such a good host. And, uh, he ended up, he knew the research department director there and got me the internship. And so I literally graduated from, uh, Southern Illinois at Carbondale and two weeks later drove out to LA. And so I started there and I was, I mean, literally, I was like the janitor boy. I mean, I was just doing anything from you know running trade papers and cleaning up trash to going to get Nancy coffee. And so I had to figure out like, okay, if I'm just this is what I'm doing, this is not what I was uh, totally expecting. How do I learn? And so, uh, probably to my executive producer's dismay, I would figure out a way every day to go get Nancy coffee at Starbucks. And then I would drive the golf cart over to the studio and hang with her in the green room while she was getting ready. Um, you know, they have hair and makeup artists in there and I would just pick her brain for about 15 minutes every day. Well, they eventually caught on to that and I got in trouble for it, but Nancy was so gracious and helped me out so much and taught me so much about, um, probably more than anything preparation. And anybody that sees me at a pageant now, I mean, they know I'm a a preparation freak. I mean, I spend a ton of time, you know, making sure that not only do I have the script set and the show ready, but I've got backup plans for certain areas in which, you know, uh, as a good example, let's say we're cutting it from 10 down to 5, and the judges have a tiebreaker, and I need a little more time. What am I going to do to fill that? And so figuring out, you know, plan B and plan C um, that I can use if that does happen, because it's probably happened in my five years um, with USA, I think probably four or five times. There was even one time when I had to literally shut the show down because they were so confused. Um the oh math was all off and I so I literally shut down the show for a few minutes. But it's those areas that as long as you're prepared, that's where the nervousness goes away because I think when you get up there, it can be nerve wracking if you literally don't know where you're going. You know, if if the headlights are on and you can't see ten feet in front of you, that's nerve wracking. Yeah. But, you know, if you can see the the path ahead of you, it makes it a lot less uh, nerve-wracking, and so that's a big part of what I learned from her. Um, and it was fun to watch her on the red carpets at, you know, the Oscars and the Grammys and the, um, all these award shows. I mean, she would go three hours straight with all these interviews, and she didn't have any papers in front of her. And I'm like, how do you, how do you know what to talk about? And she's like, I literally have a packet, and she showed it to me—a packet this thick—that I study on the plane you know, before I get there and I read, you know, all the background about everybody. And then it just kind of comes to my head when they walk up to me and I ask them about certain things and then just kind of let them steer the conversation. And then she's able to, you know, kind of run with it. And so it was really, really cool to watch one of the best in the business, if not the best in the business at that time and how she did it. And so she taught me a time that way. Um, I did get a radio television degree. That's literally what it was called. And I had a minor in speech communication, but Um, cutting my teeth and emceeing actually came when I got into the news. So after I left access, uh, my first market was West Virginia. My second market was Springfield, Missouri. And then I got uh, to St. Louis after that, during those three markets, which was a span of about eight years, you know, when you're a local celebrity on the news, uh, people want you to emcee events, you know, they want you to come to their gala or their charity event or whatever. And they just want you to be the face and the name there that gives them credibility. And so I ended up doing hundreds of events and just kind of learning my way. I mean, I didn't know how to do any of this stuff. And as, each time I would do it, I would learn something from that and take some notes and learn how to do it better. And then in 2006, let's see, no, 2005, I hosted my second pageant. That was Miss Missouri America. Um, and that was, a, that was a good pageant to you know cut my teeth on. That was a, a two-night pageant. It was a, a long pageant. And, uh, you know, again, I felt the pressure. I didn't really know a lot about it, but I was really interested in it because hosting pageants is fun. It's just a totally different atmosphere than like being on the news. And then the next year I was approached by a a female bodybuilder. She was like a figure (laughs) And she was a friend of mine. I knew her. Um, And she asked me if I would host her bodybuilding show. And I was like, (laughs) I I know nothing about bodybuilding. And she said, well, I'll tell you what, Mm -hmm. she's like, yeah, yeah." she's like, why don't we do this? Why don't you compete in a show and then you learn how it goes and then you can MC it. So I ended up, I did a bodybuilding show back in 2006. Uh, Most people probably be terrified to hear that, but I, you know, I did and I learned a lot about it. And for 10 years, I probably did, I was doing 16 shows a year for 10 years.
2: Oh my goodness.
0: Uh, wow. I, I, I became pretty well known in that industry for being one of the top MCs. Um, and, and I say that in total humility, it's just, it was one of those things where as I did shows, I I learned that these people really, they didn't know what they were doing when it came to MCing. They were really good at bodybuilding. And so I would apply a lot of the principles I had learned over the years and say, well, what if we tried this? What if we did this? And what if we did this? And what happened was a ton of the shows that I was doing were becoming a lot more successful because people enjoyed when I MC the Pat and MC the bodybuilding shows, because it was funny, it was smooth, it was efficient and people weren't bored. Whereas a lot of times the promoters themselves would MC the shows and it would be, uh, you know, a a dry snooze fest. And so I just kept growing and growing and I got into the pro level ranks. And then, um, you know, about 2015, I, I honestly just felt like it was time to be done. Um, it's a very, interesting world to say the least it's very driven by vanity Um, there's a lot of egos in that world as you can imagine And there was just stuff that just seemed toxic to me that i was ready to be done with it and so i walked away from bodybuilding and then that spring um let's see that yeah the spring of 2015 an old friend of mine named lisa wilson lisa was on american idol she was miss georgia usa 2006 called me and said hey i judge for this group in the south called rpm they're looking for a new host. I was wondering if you wouldn't mind if I recommended you. And I was like, well, of course. Now I didn't know at the time they had four States. I thought it was like South Carolina. So I was like, yeah, it sounds great. And then when I did the interview with Ryan and Paul, they were like, yeah, we own four States. And I'm like, Holy cow, that's, that's a big commitment. But they hired me. And, uh, you know, kind of like with the bodybuilding world, I just started applying different ways to doing things that I saw. Maybe I felt at least from my standpoint could be better in the way that I approach it. So, um, it's, it's gone very well. Um, it's like family to me now. I mean, I, I love them and they love me and, you know, the girls are just awesome to be around. And I, you know, for instance, next week I love South Carolina. I can't wait to go. It's, it's like a reunion for me. So, uh, <laughs> just really learned how to do all this, uh, through trial and error. And, you know, and I think the one thing that I've always tried really hard to do is I, I care. I really do care about the people that are getting up on stage. I care about pronouncing their name, right. I care about what they're going through. And it's not just a job for me and a paycheck. It's it's that I really want to see everybody who's participating in the performance to do well. And so I, I put a lot of effort into that.
2: Oh, sure. And I love the fact, too, that you're so open about um, how you did begin kind of at level one and then you worked your way up. And the thing that I keep hearing over and over in your story or what I can infer um, from your story throughout the years is that if there was an opportunity, you took it. You know, And there was yes. always a chance for you to fail, but you said, you know what, here's an open door. Why not? Let me just walk through it and see what happens. And uh, Tim, I think so many times, I mean, whether it's a pageant, whether it's a career in media, uh, whether it's in sports, music, academia, or whatever, I think so many people nowadays, they're still afraid to try something new or just take that risk because they might fail. Uh, what's your opinion about that?
0: No, and I agree. I think that's it's huge because, I mean, if you look at all the different types of events I've done, there's such versatility in all that. And so I could look at a pageant for instance And I could look back at a charity event I did or or an auction or another bodybuilding show. And I could say, I used to do this in those. I know they don't apply to pageants, but what if we tried this here? And they'll be like, yeah, let's, let's try it. And sometimes it'll work and sometimes it won't. But by being able to take all those different experiences and apply them to each thing that I do, I think that's how I've been able to be successful in, you know, getting hired by all these places is because I, you know, I am, uh, what's I'm trying to think of the word I'm looking for here. I know what I'm looking for when I'm on stage. I can't always verbalize it, but I can tell you, look, just let me do this. I promise you it'll come out right. And they're always like, you said it. It looks great. Let's do it. And, you know, I, that, as a performer, I think that's what it comes down to is you have to have a little bit of just sixth sense when you get up there that you know what you're doing. And, you know, not everybody's just going to be like, Oh no, we trust you. But, you know, the more and more you do it, the more success you have, the bigger of a name and credibility you get. People do trust you. And I think that's where I'm at now is, you know, there'll be some times when, you know, we have the pageant and we'll try something completely unique. And I'll just say to Ryan and Paula, what if I did this? And they're like, I don't know, we've never tried it before. And so we'll try it. And, you know, I'm appreciative that they give me the flexibility to try things that I don't think a lot of people would do. And I think that's why they're successful, you know, uh, because we've just had great success not only from the girls that go on to nationals and do a bigger thing like Hannah Chesley and, and Kaelin, but just in terms of how they affect the entire world of pageants. I mean, RPM is very known. Um, they have that sash factor when they walk into nationals. I mean, it's just like, you know, when the girls come from our States, it's like, Oh God, who's coming from North Carolina? You know, they're tough. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's, you know, that's fun. Cause we, we really do prepare them. Well, I mean, we push them hard, You know, we don't let them just rest on their laurels and be like, I'm going to nationals. It's like, no, no, you're going to represent North Carolina. You better be ready. Yes. So, um, yes. yeah, I, I um, hope that answers your question in some form or fashion.
2: <laughs> oh, no, it does, it does. Um, now, Tim, too, you have interviewed um, not only pageant queens but several celebrities. I also peeped mm-hmm. at one of your demo reels, um, and I saw a lot of famous faces there. Um, so, <laughs> it, you know, in addition to talking to a lot of title holders throughout the years and a lot of celebrities, um, I know that you have a lot of experience with um, helping people train for interviews. You could give advice um, about how to prepare for an interview. So, So do you have any advice for maybe current title holders right now who are about to appear for their first media interview? So let's say they're appearing on TV or a podcast or on a radio station. Um, What are some quick preparation tips that you can give to us?
0: Uh, I think that the easiest one that I literally go over with every girl I work with is don't be pageant Patty. I mean, I know that just sounds cliche, but I mean, (laughs) think about it. I mean, how many interviews do you hear on a pageant stage where they answer the question, you can literally hear like the inflection in their voice when they're getting ready to go up and coming down to the end. And then they say, thank you. And immediately when you hear the thank you, you're like, okay, that was a pageant answer. Congratulations. Whereas (laughs) when you just go into it like Hannah Brown and you're like, look, this is who I am. I don't really care what you think. And I love it. And that's, I remember the year she won, um, the year before she did not make top 15 and it was because she was trying to be somebody that she wasn't. She came back the next year, her mom signed her up. She didn't even sign up. She signed her up two weeks before and said, you're doing the pageant. Hannah came in and she told the judges, she's like, I just decided that this year that I'm enough no matter what you think. If you guys don't like me, so be it, whatever. And I remember when I asked her her top five question on stage, she just kind of rambled on, but it was so authentic. And it was like, you know, from a pageant standpoint, it's, you know, from a coaching standpoint, it's like, no, I probably wouldn't have taught that but it was so endearing you know you just were like there is something about this girl that is you know the 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 quote unquote it factor that i can't explain but i love her and you know we all fell in love with hannah i mean we think she's fantastic she's just so much fun to be around she's got a million dollar smile and she just has fun and she really doesn't care and i think if you're going into a media interview so if you're interviewing on television or the radio or a podcast or whatever don't go into it with like preconceived set phrases that you have in your mind of here's how I would answer this, or they're probably going to ask me this, I should have this prepared. Just like you're asking me questions now, just take it off the top of your head. I mean, the more you try and and prepare yourself for an interview and have phrases set, the longer it's going to take you to become normal in terms of talking because you're you're basically setting habits forth that, really will screw you in the long run, because you're going to be this robot. And the less robot you are, every time you do it, the likelier you are to get to a point where it's just like, wow, that was just supernatural. And I think anytime you do a top five interview, whether you watch the nationals, whether I do the state competition, or whether you're answering a question on television, you can feel it when it's robotic. And it just sounds like it. And it's like, yeah, you know, and people tune out. They're like, I've heard this a million times. Whereas if you know, a, a beautiful woman comes onto to a set, has a crown on, and you have this preconceived notion that she's going to be dry and boring and this is going to be, you know, the beauty queen answering the world peace you know, questions. It's shocking when they're normal and when they're real and yeah. when they say, you know, I've got issues, I've got, you know, things that I struggle with. I, you know, I was actually scared before I got up on the stage. All that stuff, people are like, wow, she's real. And so I would... That's, that's my encouragement. Be real. I don't care what that sounds like. You don't, there is no set, like this is exactly how you do it. And I think some coaches, you know, over the years have tried to teach that, that there is like a set way that you should do it. And there's not, there is just not, I've seen it hundreds of times on stage. And I can tell you from firsthand experience, there is not a set way. And sometimes the most unique out of the box way is the best because it stands out.
2: Oh, yes, and two, I've also seen, and feel free to jump in with this as well, I know some uh, title holders, uh, let's say that it's for a radio interview and they're you know hosting it live, Uh, they don't know how to go with the flow, Tim. So if the microphone cuts in and out um, or if they call you the wrong name or if they're playing the music when they should be talking to you, I have seen title holders just freeze. And, you know, and it's like, well, how how do I handle this situation? You've got to go with the float. Just, you know, let things happen, you know, and things will work out. But please don't just freeze up and say, oh, okay, well, you know, I don't know what to do next.
0: Well, I mean, take the natural reaction. I mean, if there's a goof up and you're like, oh, can you hear me? I, I don't know. You know, I mean, that's okay. That's totally fine. If you were in a room with your best friend and you guys were talking and that very thing happened, how would you react? Do the same thing publicly. I mean, obviously keep any curse words out, but for the most part, <laughs> do, the, do the normal stuff. Just be real. Nobody is going to penalize you for that. And if they don't like something about you, who cares? That's who you are. Take, look, take Hannah Brown's advice. I don't care what you think of me. This is who I am. That should be the, the motto for some pageant competitors because they need, they need to embrace that. They need to just say that I am enough. And I think that's one of the big questions. I always address the girls' at the pageants when I go to them is I think a lot of them are literally sitting in those seats in orientation wondering, am I going to be enough this weekend? Am I going to be enough for those judges, those five people? Am I going to be enough for the audience and my family and for you guys? And I always tell them, look, you're here. I don't think people understand in the pageant world how gifted you are if you're able to compete in a state pageant. There are very few people in this world who are genetically blessed enough to be beautiful enough to stand up there and be able to do that. And so, yes, you are enough. Whether you want to believe that or not, that's really up to you. But I can tell you, I've seen everybody under the sun, you know, run every gamut of style and body shape and look and fashion sense and everything. And I'm always probably excited as anything when I see somebody who comes into a pageant and let's say that, you you know, you know, when you walk in the door that they're probably not going to win this weekend, but you are so proud of them for embracing who they are, enjoying the process, being confident and owning the stage with what they've brought. I love that more than anything. And I always pull those girls aside and I say, I love what you're doing. Keep doing it. Be you. I love it.
1: Well,
2: and a lot of them don't realize, you know, that's exactly what the judges are looking for. You know, it's not always about who's the prettiest or the most talented. They're looking for the full, complete package, um, and they want somebody who's authentic and real.
0: Yeah. uh, Yeah, go ahead.
2: Excuse me. Go ahead.
0: No, no, no. Go ahead.
2: So I was going to move on um, to the next question. Uh, what are some tips for title holders that you would suggest um, to improve their public speaking skills? Not just an interview, but let's say they're being interviewed you know, out in public at an event or they're being interviewed on TV live.
0: Three words. Do it more. I mean, there is no way to get better at public speaking without actually doing it. It's one of those rare commodities in which experience trumps everything. You cannot get better at public speaking by reading a book or studying or practicing in your room. You have to get up in front of audiences. You have to feel audiences. You have to know when you have an audience and when you don't. You have to know how to pivot and adjust and play to their energy. Um, sometimes you've got to bring them up. Sometimes you've know you got to encourage them to really let it loose. Those are the things that you literally you cannot teach them until you go through them. And there will be some trial and error. You will have some mess-ups. And guess what? totally okay. It's the number one fear in the world, getting up and speaking in front of people. And the more you do it, the better you will become and the more you'll get paid for it because so many people don't want to do it because it is. It's a huge fear. Do you know how many companies would pay a premium for you to just come in and speak because they don't want to? You know, they've got their executives, their CEOs, their CFOs, their human resources department, everybody, and they're like, I don't want to speak. Let's let's hire somebody. And they'll pay a premium because they'll do it just to avoid their fear. And when you're able to do that, you know you can literally paint your career. I mean, I would say on the mo- for the most part, I think most motivational speakers on average make about five thousand for a speech. You know, and then it goes wow. up into the you know when you're a celebrity, then you're getting twenty twenty-five thousand. Some of them make fifty and a hundred, just depending on, you know, how big of a deal they like. Presidents make like a hundred grand, but you know, I, I would say on on average five thousand is a really good. You know, when you get to a point where you've got a good speech. You can put it together and you can give it to people. You know, you, you can get five grand for an hour, which is fantastic. I mean, that's pretty good return on investment, huh?
2: Oh yes, I, I mean, I would think so. I wouldn't mind having five grand every now and then just to. <laughs> <laughs>
0: How about every Just week, to every
2: go two, deposit in the bank just for talking, you know, for 30 minutes or an hour. See, I never understood why people were so scared of public speaking. I mean, whether it was a title holder or, you know, someone in the career field, because I absolutely loved talking. I got in trouble for school for talking too much. Interview was always my strongest whenever I competed. It was my strongest area of competition. And I think it's so crazy how there was that old statistic concerning, you know, people would rather, like, jump out of a plane or something versus, yeah, uh, you I know, talk it. to an audience for five minutes. That's crazy. crazy.
0: Well, I mean, if you've ever watched somebody who's extremely nervous in front of a crowd, I mean, they're like shaking, sweating. I mean, they can barely get through, you know, go to a business event as an example. You know, a lot of times the big companies will have like a luncheon for, to honor their employees or something. And the person will get up there at the very beginning. And I mean, just to read the little paragraph script that introduces the main speaker. I mean, it's, it's like pulling teeth for them. I mean, they can barely get through it and they read so fast. And as soon as they're done, they pick up that paper and they run to their seat. And that's, that's pretty common. It's just it's not uncommon to see that. And so, you know, if you can give one speech a week, that's twenty grand a month. You're living pretty high. I, you know, uh, Les Brown, who's a, one of the most prolific motivational speakers in the last 30 years, was a mentor of mine. In his lifetime, he's made $65 million speaking just getting up. Wow. And I mean, he can literally get up and just people be like, can you talk about this? And he'll be like, yeah, no problem. He'll go for 45 minutes. It's amazing. It's amazing to watch him, but he's so powerful. And uh, I mean, he's up there in age now. He's, he's getting older. He doesn't do it like he used to, but you know, there's the Tony Robbins of the world and the Brian Tracy's and, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk's and all these people who are doing all these keynote speeches now that just make stupid money.
2: Just for talking or, you know, saying one motivational yeah. speech and then make that much money.
0: Yeah, having a message and just delivering it. That's what it comes (laughs) down to.
2: Yes, well, related to um, public speaking and talking, you actually have your own podcast. So would you mind Mm -hmm. telling us a little bit about um, your podcast and also how you got started uh, podcasting and interviewing uh, former title holders?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I actually, um, a few years back, I I had written a a book on television hosting called Host Your Own TV Show. And around that book, I developed a podcast called Life on Air. Um, And it was all about, you know, television hosts and the hosting world and and becoming good in that world. I think I did about close to 30 episodes, and then I, you know, I kind of cashed it in. I was doing some other stuff in business. And then when I got into the pageants in 2015 with RPM, um, I started to get to know the girls, and I was really watching, like, what were the things that they were struggling with and what were the things that they were succeeding with. And there were two girls in particular that went Uh, uh, Alabama was Peyton Brown. This was before Hannah. She went on to USA and finished top five that year. That was the year that uh, uh, Deshauna Barber won. And for her, the big question was, what are you going to do when it's over? And it was a big struggle for her trying to figure out, like, what does my career look like now? Like, what do I want to do? I don't know. And I think, you know, a lot of girls look at it like that. Like, you know, Miss USA or Miss America or Miss United States or whatever, they're all the pinnacle. And I always, you know, use the analogy that it, they're looking up at the mountain top, but they're, forget, they're forgetting to look on the other side, what's going on after. So if you climb the mountain and you get to the peak, then what? And they haven't really thought about that. Well, then the next year, the same thing happened in South Carolina when Megan Gordon won and went on to USA and finished top five as well. And then I saw her struggling with it. And, you know, this idea kept popping up in my head. Is, uh, there's got to be a resource to help these girls figure out what to do when it's all over and so obviously you know I'm a male I've never competed in a pageant who am I to sit here and tell girls what to do after pageants are over so I said maybe the best way would be to interview former pageant title holders on a podcast and just let them tell their stories and so that's where the idea for life after the crown came up I came up with that and you know it's uh, we're, we're going on two years here I think in May and you know I've had some of the biggest title holders in the last 25 years on. And it's been really interesting to see all the different approaches to how they handle the post pageant depression as as an example that exists. Every state title holder that goes to Miss USA that doesn't win. I think they all go through it in some form or fashion in that next month or two, you know, where it's like, my God, it's over. What do I do now? And they really have a tough time with it. And nobody's been been ever, ever been able to be there to tell them, you know, here's what I did or here's how I, I handled it. And so letting all these women share their stories is how I've tackled it. Um, and I've really enjoyed it. I mean, I've got to know so much. I've got a PhD in pageantry at this point, it feels like. Um, but it's just really interesting to listen to all of them and um, just really great stories, you know, in addition to, you know, uh, advice for girls. It's just there's some fascinating stories that have come out of those podcasts that, you know, people didn't know that they're inspired by that, you know, Inspiring girls who are currently competing to go on and do bigger things, and so I'm just I'm having fun with it. I didn't really have like a uh, a Mission. way that I wanted to go make money like, with it. Yeah, I just I was just like I just want to start something to help people, and that's what it turned out to be. And so it is what it is right now, and I'm I'm just having fun with it.
2: Sure. Well, I've really enjoyed listening to it um, personally, and especially listening to you know uh, different title holders from different areas of the U.S. And I love the fact that it does serve as a resource both for um, current and former title holders because, like you said, um, each guest um, gives their own you know piece of advice related to whatever area within the pageant industry. But it also um, helps title holders um, come to grips with the fact that their whole identities are not wrapped up in the title or the crown and sash. yes they've been given a great platform yes they've been given a great opportunity but once that year's over does not mean that you know your your mission on earth is done Uh, there's so much that you can do afterward and you know bottom line it's a piece of metal with rhinestones and a piece of fabric but it's what you do with the (laughs) crown and sash that makes the difference
0: yeah and you know listening to some of the you know I, I think I had a woman on about a month ago named Jackie Bruno who is a host in Boston and I think the NBC affiliate there. And she was just talking about how all the stuff that she learned in pageantry, going through the process of signing up and getting ready and prepping for interview and going through interview and all those things really helped her to develop her media career. And, you know, everybody I have only has a different story about how it's helped them. And I think that's what I love about it more than anything is these are all things that nobody knew about and now do. And I think it's helping you know, I'm not. I'm not sitting here. I say I'm changing the pageant world by any means, but I think I'm helping um, a lot of girls understand that it's okay. You know, it, it, people have been where you're at, and you're not the first one. And there is a path to get through it. And if you just listen to enough podcasts, you'll probably find somebody that's a lot like you, who can help you.
2: Oh, yes, I think we can all identify a similar trait within each guest um, who's on the podcast. So, Oh, yeah, absolutely, 100%. And uh, what's it called, Tim, so that my followers um, can look it up?
0: Yeah, Life After the Crown. So you can get it uh, at lifeafterthecrown.com, or you can go, like, to the podcast app. Uh, it's on Spotify and Google Play and iTunes. So there's a bunch of different places that you can grab it. But, yeah, it's called Life After the Crown with Tim Tialdo
2: awesome well Tim I know that you have been able to do so much and you have a very busy schedule you travel all over the place you interview everyone under the Sun um, what <laughs> is <laughs> what is an inspirational quote or a Bible verse that you live by each day or do you have one
0: uh, Matthew 19 with God all things are possible that's that's pretty much my my motto that I live by you know there are definitely days when you feel like something's impossible and I'll give you a great example where I used it, the Teen USA deal that I was telling you about earlier when I asked. I mean, yes. that takes some pretty uh, – it's it's a, its a gutsy move to, for me to just call up and say, hey, I'd like to host. But, you know, with with preparation and prayer and just some faith, you know, he met me at my level of faith. And, and sure enough, as you all saw, I got to do it. And it was one of the coolest experiences of my life. And, you know, sometimes i got to go to that scripture and just – play it over in my head, you know, a thousand times, because it's true, and it's fun when he does do the impossible, because it's pretty
2: neat. Absolutely. I love that one, too, and, you know, it reminds me to take the opportunity, take the chance, you know, don't be afraid to get out there and fail, because if you fail, just get right back up, because with God, all things are possible, and I think, too, related to that verse, you know, sometimes doors close, and maybe it's not God's plan for you, so you've got to go find um, the door that's right for you and walk through it.
0: Yeah, exactly.
2: So, uh, tim, if uh, my listeners have any further questions for you or comments, um, how can we contact you?
0: Yeah, they can message me on Instagram. Um, my handle is at Tim Tialdo, and you can just message me through there, or you can email me. It's Tim at TimTialdo.com.
2: All right. So, guys, there you have it. Tim, I want to thank you so much uh, for appearing on the show today. I have really valued your time, and I've just uh, gained so much wisdom um, from you sharing your story and your experiences. And, of course, um, I love all of the advice that you've given so far. And uh, So I just want to thank you so much.
0: Well, yeah, thank you so much, Leah. Honored to get the invite. Appreciate it.
2: Hi, this is Randy Cole, your 2019 Mrs. Kansas United States, and you're listening to Sash Says Podcast.
1: Hi, Queens. Leah here. Wow. Isn't Tim the best? I'll tell you the truth. Uh, when I saw the confirmation email that he would be appearing on Sash Says, I honestly almost fell out of my chair. <laughs> I've watched him through the years on TV, um, hosting different events and pageants and never thought in my wildest dreams that I would have a chance to chat with him. I am so thankful that I had the opportunity. Uh, please go follow his social media pages and show him your support and the social media links for Tim Tialdo and his contact information is um, not only mentioned in the show, but also in the show notes as well want to connect with me about pageant coaching or to discuss pageants in general, uh, you can email me at lhatter underscore pageants at yahoo.com. You can reach me on Facebook at facebook.com slash sash pageant consulting on Instagram at Instagram handle at sash says podcast tweet at me at Twitter handle at Leah Hatter. Stay tuned for more episodes until then rain on Queens and be awesome today.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Sash Says. Tune in for more engaging conversations soon. Until then, rain on.